Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's funny for me right now in Hollywood, the more different I say I am, the more doors open. So it's kind of ironic. (laughs) And I actually never thought this day would come. So I feel very blessed to be in this position. Hey, I'm Natalie Drenovac and welcome to The Modern Women, a show that seeks to share the stories and experiences of women that may be out of our line of sight. And in this episode, I got to sit down with Charmaine Bingwa, all the way from Los Angeles. A few months ago, as Charmaine started popping up all over my social feeds, I sought to find out who this woman was, as I kept reading time and time again, the first openly gay woman of color wins Heath Ledger Scholarship. I absolutely love this conversation with Charmaine as we challenged stereotypes, discussed her deep passion for showcasing stories yet untold and characters not yet explored, and how her unique experience growing up as a daughter of Zimbabwean immigrants in Perth has shaped her into a strong, driven, and inquisitive woman who is set on being the change in the film industry we wish to see. Charmaine, thank you so much for being with us for another episode of The Modern Women. Of course. I always like to start with a couple of cheeky rapid fire questions so we can learn some quirky facts about you. What's your favorite cocktail? Uh, I don't drink, so it's a mocktail and probably something along the lines of like an alcoholless Capriosca. What's a country you haven't been to but are dying to visit? Uh, Egypt. What's the one book that's had the greatest impact on you? Um, Alice Miller's The Gift of the, no, The Drama of the Gifted Child. Gosh, I can't remember the, the name. What do you wish you had have known when you started out? Uh, nothing more than I do now. I like to just be on a constant adventure. And lastly, what's your favorite meal? Ooh, it would be um, a steak and fritz. And if I got really particular from Baltazar in New York. Oh, I have eaten that meal. That's a good one. Yeah, it's always, always solid. Um, so I would love if you could share a bit about your background um, and growing up in Perth with immigrant parents and just a bit more about that. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, so I'm the only person in my family that was born in Australia. My two parents are both from Zimbabwe and my two brothers were born in Zimbabwe as well, um, to the best of like, my knowledge. Do you feel like you missed out? Um, no, but I just do feel like I have a, a very, I had a very different point of view from everyone else in my family because, 
you know, just culturally, I just, I grew up in a, in a different culture and it, you could just definitely tell it was uh, different. It was probably very useful as an actor, but, um, but you know, it was, it was a marked different kind of um, worldview. Um, but yeah, and uh, my father moved over here with $500 in his pocket and he just was an adventurer and chose to make a life in Perth, Western Australia, and everyone thought he was mad. And then a civil war broke out in Zimbabwe three years later, so then everyone thought he was a prophet. Um, but, yeah, he kind of um, set up a life for us over here, and I um, grew up in Western Australia and went to a private girls' school and did the things that you do, and, yeah. And how was that growing up in Perth in terms of, um, I guess, being a minority? Yeah, I didn't really think it at the time because that was, you know, your life is your only experience. But, like, it was very different. I think I was only, like, one or two of the only, like, black kids at school. And, uh, yeah, everything is just a little bit different. And I guess when you are such a minority, no one really has insight into your culture. And I also felt like I lived between two cultures. So I felt like I belonged at that school, but then i obviously didn't and then vice versa and at home like I was from my family but they're they're all Zimbabwean born and raised so there's kind of a little bit of a values kind of clash in there so yeah I always felt like um a a very unique point of view because I'm kind of always skated between a few worlds. So do you think that you got to still connect with your heritage living in Australia? Yeah not to the degree I probably would have liked or hoped but to, to like yeah I think so especially growing up in my family but not I wouldn't say I'm like completely grounded in it or anything, but I do have a healthy curiosity about it now. I'm, I'm just curious because you've mentioned it twice, how you said you have a unique point of view. Is there something that like kind of strikes like or uh, sticks out for you in regards to that versus your brothers? Oh, I don't think there's like anything in particular, but I do remember like I would go to school and do what like my white friends would do. And then I would come home and repeat the behavior at home and they would be like, oh no, not in my house. So I just oh, remember constantly, like, I don't know if I was, um, you know, I might've seen the way like my friends spoke to their parents and I would repeat that with my parents and, you know, it's just a different culture. They'd be like, don't speak to me that way. That's extremely disrespectful. And I just remember constant little confusions like that. You know? Yeah. It's funny. What jumps out to me is I remember my dad, super Croatian. And um, one time I wanted to go out and he was like, no. And I kept on fighting and debating with him. And he's like, which part of no, do you not understand? But I'd seen so many of my friends just keep asking their parents and asking their parents. And then a no became a yes. And then all of a sudden with me, he's like, I said it once. It doesn't change. And I was like, oh, this is different. Yeah, and I, my parents were a lot stricter than, than other parents. So I think I had to learn that the hard way. So. Do you think, though, that that kind of actually serves you well in terms of having respect? Uh, from which parties do you the getting respect from? And like is in the fact of like respecting your parents. Like did you find that because of the discipline you respected your parents or that you wanted to rebel because you had the discipline? I think it made me very headstrong and I questioned everything from everyone. So not that I was disrespectful to my parents, but I just, if people just said, that's the way it is. And because I said so, I'd be like, why? That doesn't make any sense. And because obviously I'd have evidence presenting, you know, the alternative to me. So I I would like, and I'm still like that today. I'm very headstrong, obviously. Um, (laughs) But I think it served me in my life to be so headstrong because if somebody says, well, that's impossible, you can't have a career like acting. I'm like, well, why not? That doesn't make any sense. No, (laughs) I'm going to go do what I'm going to do. 
when I um, shared with a friend of mine who also has immigrant parents from Bosnia, she was like, oh, I'm curious to know if her parents actually ever questioned her choices in pursuing a creative career. Because oh for God, her, absolutely. yeah, because for <laughs> her, it was so emphasized, like we've brought you here. These are your opportunities and it's your responsibility now to go and have a more, I guess, academic career, you could say. So what did your parents think about your choices creative wise? Um, well, I think it was first, but initially I was a musician. So I got into um, WAPA, which was the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, um, and to go and study guitar. And I remember presenting that with them. I was like, I got into WAPA, I'm going to go study the guitar. And they were like, oh my God, you are not. <laughs> they absolutely opposed it. Um, I didn't end up doing that degree, but I think if something is meant for you, it will find you anyways, which kind of seems to be the pattern in my life. And I I still went on and was a successful musician and then later a creativity found me with acting, but they were absolutely vehement, vehemently against it. And I understand because I think they came over, risked everything, had $500 and were like, I want to create better opportunities for my kids. You know, I don't want them going to clown college or whatever they perceive the arts to be. So, <laughs> And it only becomes once you start to exhibit some signs of success, people understand very quickly. Yeah. And then their opinions change. <laughs> I, I literally remember again with my father and being like, I'm going to be an actor. He's like, but what else? And then I, <laughs> then most recently I had quite a successful year and he was like, Oh, okay. It's like a real thing now. And I was <laughs> like, money validates everything. <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, mom's like, I saw you on the TV. My, my neighbor's comment it must be something good. Yeah, now you're really professional, right? <laughs> exactly. Gotta love that. Um, I just wanted to touch on one thing before we well, actually, no, you always mention in certain articles that I've read that you're a trifecta, being you're a woman, you're a woman of color, and you are gay. And so something that I don't think is often spoken about enough in Australia is actually understanding the difference in terminology. Uh, so for, for yourself, do you prefer um, black, woman of color, color? Like, because recently I had a couple of conversations around this, one with a South African and then one with an African-American, and they both had very different views. On terminology. Right. Um, I've been a bit enlightened from my time in the States. Um, I, I, you know, as long as you're not calling me something offensive, I'm, I'm happy with any description. I mean, you need to label me as what I am. Black is fine. Person of colour, um, you know, gay. I don't personally like the word queer. I know that's everyone loves it at the moment because I still think it has negative connotations around it and you know, I don't think my sexuality necessarily has to be a lifestyle choice. I, I just, these aren't the defining characteristics of me. So, um, yeah, so they're probably my personal preferences, but I am indeed a trifecta. Yeah, I just think it's really interesting because the more I have these conversations and then the more I have these conversations and then I carry them into my just daily life with friends and I'll question them and they'll actually say, I'm not sure. I don't know what to say. And so that's why I feel like it's such a something that should be spoken about so we can all start to have a better understanding. Absolutely. And and I think just even by asking the question is a, a good step in the right direction because it just proves that you uh, are deliberately trying not to marginalise somebody or like, because, you know, when, when the terminology goes wrong, it can go wrong very badly. So, so I think it's a good thing to inquire and be a step ahead of it, you know? So. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, <laughs> so I am going to talk about something that we do have in common, being the women in our lives, because mm -hmm. I, want to, I do want to touch on it, but do keep it light and maybe just touch on some pervasive stereotypes and behaviours and delve maybe into a bit of why it still happens in today's society, because I find <laughs> with labeling we just can't get away with it 
Sometimes I personally find it funny. Sometimes I really find it super fucking annoying. Um, (laughs) So I always believe that in order to really have diversity and proper representation, I feel that sometimes we need to break those stereotypes and ways of thinking. So I'm going to throw out some and I'd like you to tell me if you've encountered any of them or if you have any funny situations. (laughs) Um, You don't look gay. Always. (laughs) Oh, you're gay. Oh, you're gay. It's cool. I'm cool with it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, why, why are you saying that, bro? <laughs> I always have that moment with people and I'm like, I didn't ask if you were cool with it. I was, <laughs> I was just saying it, but everyone finds that they need to validate their, oh, no, 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 but like, I'm all right with it. It's all right. It's cool. Or a better one is like, oh, yeah, yeah, my, my cousin's friend's gay. Yeah. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm cool with it by default. So I'm surrounded by them. It's okay. <laughs> That's amazing. You know another gay. So cool. Um, <laughs> are you sure? Maybe you just haven't <laughs> met the right man. Mostly for men, but yes, I have received that one too. <laughs> uh, but have you ever been with a man? <laughs> always. Always a question that comes yeah. up. My wife gets it and they'll be like, oh, so have you ever been with a man? And she always responds with, have you? And they'll be like, oh, no, absolutely not. And so she always says, well, how do you not know that you might not like it? Oh, touche. Checkmate. And it just like puts, it. it really puts them on the back foot because it's like, Thank you now for being aware actually how stupid and redundant your question is. They are quite benign questions, but yeah. you know, <laughs> common traps. It happens. Out there. Um, I know that Brokeback Mountain for you was a defining movie and film that you first watched in regards to your coming out experience. Could you share a little bit more on that? Yeah, and I think I, um, I referenced it when I, after I won the Heath Ledger Scholarship, um, I mean, Heath is a brilliant, superb actor. Um, you know, the fact that I can have my name aligned with him is, is incredible and his incredible legacy. But I, I was so moved by his performance and, you know, he'd spoken about how much he was holding in as that character and how pained he was and the, the pain of not uh, living his true self or, or going after his dream of life. And I really felt that come across on screen in such a palpable way and it just made me, you know, drop the fear of any kind of um, not being accepted that comes along with with coming out and just wanting to live the fullest life and not be pained and not be hiding something. I think we all deserve that as human beings at the very least. So um, it gave me that bravery um, to do that. And, uh, yeah, I don't really wake up with fear or anything anymore, which is a great thing. So, you know, in relation to that, I fear other things, but, you know. How (laughs) old were you, may I ask, when you first watched it? Oh, gosh. Oh, I can't remember, but it's probably at least, oh, God, like it's probably at least like 10 years ago. So, um, you know, probably right soon before before I came out. So, yeah, it was a while ago. I couldn't give you the exact date, but. Isn't it oh. interesting, the whole terminology about coming out? I always say, <laughs> I always say to people, look, if there was a closet filled with homosexuals, no one would be, <laughs> no one would be trying to get out. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> they would pay a fee to go in there. Yeah. Um, the reason I wanted to talk about it was because I actually recently watched it um, knowing that we were going to have a chat and how important it was for you. And I had mm. seen it before and then I watched it again. And then the question I actually was thinking was, was it a bit more digestible that straight actors played these roles that it allowed it to become such a kind of cult, pop culture classic? I can't speak to it at the time. I mean, possibly yes, but I was just moved by the level of performance, whether it had been straight or gay, 
you know, I just was so floored by the work that was being put up on screen. And because I think that's really the beauty of storytelling is that regardless of who you are and who's playing it, somehow this story just opens up something in you and moves you. I, I was so floored by that. Because it's such a bit of a hot topic right now, what is your opinion on kind of gay actors either being pigeonholed and that they should play the gay roles when the straight people should play the straight roles? Or do you as an actor also find that you should be able to express yourself in all forms? Well, I think my first off, my opinion is that there should be more gay roles written on television. I'm very heartened by the Oscars and seeing exactly how many films feature LGBTI characters and content. I think it's amazing. Um, but I think there just needs to be uh, gay people represented on on screen. And also, especially with TV, don't kill them off. <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole thing of like gay characters being killed off first, um, you know, and they're not really represented as, as people because it's not a full arc it's just this kind of tokenistic gesture so I think really I know I mean that starts in the writer's room for me having people who understand LGBT content and LGBT lives and having diversity in the writer's room so we can have these full characters represented on screen because uh, I think that's the way that will change and impact the world it's a hard thing like I I I love that uh, gay people have kind of been given um, first preference to gay roles and now trans people are as well I think that's great Um, but I think also as an actor like you're you're in well, for me personally, I mean, acting to be transformative and where I get the most joy is playing characters that are the furthest from me. So I, I want to see them represented. I probably don't always want to play the gay role. I would love to play at least one, in, you know, in my time, but I wouldn't also just want to be like the gay actor because that would um, not be true to, to the, the capacity of my talent. I completely understand and agree with that. And I I find it really interesting how all of a sudden it is now this thing because, I mean, and Kate Blanchett came out and said, and she goes, well, I don't know why we shouldn't. And she, of course, had uh, her beautiful performance in Carol. And Mm. you do just think if she was limited and who might have actually played that. And I remember watching Carol just being so uh, shook. Is that the right word? Maybe just thinking back. Just thinking back to those little moments I remember when I was mm. discovering and uncovering and being like, oh, those little touches and I just <laughs> nailed it. Yeah, completely, completely. And I just, I, yeah, I absolutely, I just want them on screen. I want everyone to be able to play them. I want gay, I think the main, I think the notion behind having gay people play gay roles is the fact that if there is any kind of exclusion going on, we're breaking down that barrier starting there, which I think is a great thing. I do think it's super important and I think everyone should have the ability to at least have representation and see themselves on screen in however, uh, whichever kind of character it comes up across. Because I do think growing up and then recalling back onto it, it's kind of like, wow, if only I had have seen X, maybe I wouldn't have had these worries. Absolutely. And then I'm just about like not pigeonholing altogether because you know, I was very moved when I heard Michael B. Jordan say that, you know, I think once he started getting big, he requested to only be submitted for white roles because he didn't want to be pigeonholed into uh, black-only type stories and that why shouldn't a black actor be able to play a white quote-unquote role? And I love that. So I think on many fronts uh, I'm trying to do that, whether it's a male and female character, whether it's, you know, racially diverse characters or whether it is LGBTI, I just think everyone should have the opportunity to play everything because that's what we train to do. That's what our skills are there for. So, yeah. I actually was going to say something about Michael B. Jordan, but before I jump off the topic, I do want to say that I love how you are so open. I know that you don't um, 
your identity isn't so wrapped around your sexuality, but I think it is such an incredible thing and an important thing for someone to be open about who they are because I have so many actor friends who will not tell anyone that they're gay because they are so terrified of it limiting their roles and their wow. career ambitions. Oh, well, firstly, thank you. But, um, but I get that because I remember when I was coming up, there was, you know, it, whether it was like said or not, people were like, you know, you can't be you can't be who you are. You have to hide that, but people will pigeonhole you. You won't get, be able to get any work. And I'm just so excited that at this time, like it's funny for me right now in Hollywood, the more different I say I am, the more doors open. So it's kind of ironic. <laughs> like I ne- and I actually never thought this day would come. So I feel very blessed to be in this position. Do you think America's, do you feel America is way more ahead of times than Australia is? I do. And I, but I, don't want to get all blamey. I also think that's a function of population. Um, okay. You know, there's 350 million people in America. In Australia, there is 21 million. Even though I feel like the diversity of the population isn't reflected in Australian television, I know there's more challenges for them to bring about more uh, diversely cast stories or niche stories. So I, I feel very positive from like all the casting directors and stuff that I work with in Australia, that they are constantly trying to get more diverse talent out there. But I think there's a limit to what they can do. And until diverse people start getting in the writing rooms and, and, and making content like, you know, like Benjamin Law did with Family Law, it's hard for us to really make that push on screen. So, you know, I completely respect what's going on in Australia, but yes, America is light years ahead. Absolutely. Um, And going back to Michael B. Jordan, um, he and also uh, actors like Brie Larson, they really insist now on having an inclusivity writer. Mm. And I thought that was a really wonderful thing. And for those who don't know what an inclusivity writer is, it's the fact that they're demanding uh, that a certain percentage of their films and those who are behind their films actually have to have, uh, I guess, racially diverse and just everything to bring more awareness to it. Do you think that's something that as your um, presence and career grows, you it will become more of a defining factor? Yeah, I hope, I hope everyone latches onto that. I mean, you know, given the power and, you know, of position and being able to have that influence, I would absolutely try and bring that on, on board. I'm very much about throwing the ladder back down to help those coming up behind you as well, not just going, oh, cool, I fought so hard. It was so hard for me. I made it by. Um, and to, I think that's what we're here for is to make a change in the world in whichever way that our skills and talent allow us to. So I love hearing stories like that. It's, it's an amazing thing when you uh, read about it, research it, and then you continue to see it happening. And I find that also because of social media, everyone now has a louder voice. Yes. Which can be a good thing, can be a bad thing, but it <laughs> at least allows it to not be so funneled and tunneled through one main medium. Absolutely. And I think, you know, social media is essentially like people all having their own broadcast channels and broadcast networks, which is amazing because I think, you know, there's a lot of good stuff people are doing. There's a lot of weird stuff too, but like, <laughs> but I think for the most part, it's, it's great because everyone gets a bit of a voice. And uh, moving on to kind of Little Sister and the web series in your own production company, could you share a bit more about that for those who haven't watched it yet? Yeah, sure. Um, so this is, oh gosh, I think I made that a few years ago now. I always lose track of time. But um, yeah, I created, I always wanted to make, write and produce and direct a show. Like I'm very interested in what happens behind the camera as much as in front. Well, my first passion is always acting. But um, yeah, so I had this concept for a show and then decided to pull it together and you know, it was the first thing I'd done and 
it just so happened I think it won Best Screenplay at the LGBT Toronto Film Festival and just got included into quite a few festivals all around the world. So I was like, oh, this is a great thing. And, you know, it's streaming on a, a channel called Reverie right now for people to, like, go and watch and see. And, yeah, I was just super, super happy that um, to be able to create something that resonated with people. And, and it was a story that uh, looked at LGBTI inclusion and racial diversity and it was a very female-led show I think all six of our like female leads were females so yeah I was very happy with what that show was able to accomplish without being some kind of tokenistic production it wasn't like hey we're just looking at all these social issues it was a comedy that everyone could enjoy and she just happened to be gay and she just happened to be black it was a lot of fun to make And I think that's the most important, well, no, sorry, I shouldn't say I think that's the most important thing. I feel like that's such an important aspect of what it was, is that everyone seemed like you mentioned earlier, it's like this tokenistic gay person, this tokenistic African-American person, this tokenistic Mm. uh, Chinese person, or, you know, like, why why does it always have to be a big show as opposed to like, oh, here is this person and they are this. And it's not, it's not their character, it's not their um, storyline or their main aspect of who they are within it. Totally. And as an artist, I'm always like story first, story, story, story. And if, if you're trying to weave in token things and it doesn't really fit, it's always, people will always be able to tell or feel that. So yeah, love it for story in the most purest form. What uh, type of stories do you want to continue to share to elevate and empower women? Um, at the moment... I'm really, there's a few things going on over here, but I'm really obsessed with uh, the civil rights period towards the end of the 60s. I'm just like fascinated by that. Um, there's there's a few projects floating around, but I just, you know, there's a couple of things that I'm working on that, that really deal with that era. And I just think it was such a defining time, not only in terms of uh, black power and black empowerment, but also in terms of like female rights, females were getting their voices and, um, you know, a lot of scholars were rising to the time and, and really changing the way that we traditionally thought about society. And I'm just, you know, I've in the past I've worked on a few uh, things that really dealt with civil rights at its heart. So, that, so that's always going to be like a key one for me. Um, but then also just uh, just really, um, you know, I read scripts all the time, but, you know, when a story is truly unique, whether it's the way it's told or what it's talking about, like it just grabs you. And I just love that feeling. And I, uh, I'm always just drawn to that. Do you find that there are any kinds of stories that grab you more than others? Uh no, not really, actually. Like, I'm as much of a sucker for a futuristic project about AI as I am about a, a biopic dealing with adversity. Like, I just, I think the truth is never, like, disguisable. And you can always hear it when you read a script. It's, it's such a uh, poetic view that I know when I'm speaking to a real actor because like there are people who are like, I love acting. And then there are people who are like, here are the aspects of why I love it and the passion that they speak about when it comes to the nuances of developing a show, a film, a movie, all of the above. Yeah. And I hope I never lose it because honestly, that part just really makes my heart skip a beat and I just love it. So yeah, I hope I always, you know, continue reading stories that I'm absolutely moved and floored by. Do you find that women are actually starting to be portrayed really differently? I mean, I think if we flash back maybe even five to ten years, a woman was always kind of like a very simple character. Mm. And I feel like now they're having such a substance or they are completely female-driven casts. Or I think that even when you look at um, Wonder Woman, mm. uh, Gal Gadot was not sexualized. 
like, yes. like a lot of other, let's say, um, Marvel picks or just your superheroes. And then yeah. you kind of think, hmm, is that because it was a film, a female director? Yeah. Well, I literally just before this finished watching The Wife with Glenn Close, which I think is the perfect example of it. Am I right? It was amazing. <laughs> She's phenomenal in that. Like, I and- didn't know what it was until I started watching it. And then I was like, women around the world will watch this film and be like, oh my God. Absolutely. And then I loved hearing her speech at the Golden Globes where she's talked about women in the past having so many unfulfilled needs and her mother and how she was so loyal and faithful to her father and, and stood by his side without the recognition. And I, I just thought her performance was so layered and nuanced and from the word go right on the camera, you could just feel the weight of, of all these things that she was holding and, and, and the fact that her hopes and dreams were by the wayside. And I just, you know, it's not, it's not a film where it's like fireworks in terms of the plot, but internally and the character study, just like phenomenal. So I absolutely agree that uh, women, female roles are impressive. And if you look at everyone who's getting the Best Actress award, uh, you know, nominations for the Oscars, like all of those roles are incredible. And, you know, I think it's a really tough category. If you could, in the current uh, Oscar categories, if you could have played any of the roles, which one would it have been? Whew. So you've got Glenn Close, you've got um, Lady Gaga. I think it would be Olivia Colman's actually in The Favourite. I loved that movie. And why that one for those who haven't watched it just yet? Just for the range um, and the theatrical freedom. I mean, she plays somebody who has a lot of pain but also is quite fun and novel, you know, with her rabbits and whatever's going on inside her head. I think there's, there's clearly like some sort of mental affliction and she has all this pressure of this running this kingdom and she's not really into it. I just think there's a lot um, of range and nuance available in that performance. Yeah. It's kind of amazing when you start to see really dynamic women on screen, you just think, where was this when I was growing up? Totally. And the flipping between drama and comedy in that like she changes within the same within the scene often it's quite it just flips back and forth between like stupidly funny to like heartbreakingly serious so I just think it's amazing but have you heard much also about how Disney um Frozen 2 is coming out and there seems to be a push from the community that Elsa should be a lesbian character and oh. the, the defining literally how much that would redefine uh I guess youth driven films and actually inclusion I haven't heard about that, but I think that's amazing. And I think, yeah, the message starts with those who are younger than us, you know, and imagine growing up as a seven-year-old and seeing Ariel or Snow White. Yeah. Yeah, rather than these constructs we give them because we think that's the right thing. I think it would be amazing. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating to imagine what life will be like in the next five to ten years. Absolutely, and I guess it's up to us as well, you know, all of us as individuals, what it is for the next generation. If you were to have, like, on that note, if you were to have looked back and when you were growing up, what do you wish you had have seen that maybe made, maybe would have just made you uh, not have certain worries or just any kinds of anything you dealt with, I guess? Uh, maybe another show in addition to the L word <laughs> that dealt with that, you know? Do you know what's <laughs> that kind of, yeah. The, what's funny, and I feel like every um, person, listening to this who might have watched the L word and had the same experience might either laugh or roll their eyes. But I remember <laughs> being in high school and being totally heartbroken. And then somehow I don't even know. And then I found the L word. And then I remember thinking, 
oh, wow, it's not just me. <laughs> yeah. Because I think now when I look at things and I'm like, oh, I never struggled with this or I never struggled with that. And then you stop and you're actually like, actually, when I was younger, I didn't have the confidence I now have. And actually, this really was damaging or I really uh, was kind of battling with something at the same time. Did you have yeah. that experience when you watched anything like that? Um, I think I just was really obsessed with that show and couldn't tell why until later, obviously. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me. Like, this is such um, an interesting character, plot-driven film. I think I like it because Snoop Dogg makes an appearance. Probably not correct. But, um, <laughs> um, and then I think other dramas that I think I would crave to see are ones that kind of deal a bit more with the domestic unit and what goes on inside of them. Because I feel like... In terms of like violence or do you mean in terms of just like family driven films? Whether it's violence, whether it's a thing like the wife, you know, where families just seem normal on the surface and there's so much more to it or anything that kind of excavates into people and, and their psyches because I think that's the next layer of us all understanding each other a little bit better is by knowing the kind of internal dramas that people don't often display. And I feel like when I was growing up, pardon me, <clears throat> dramas weren't that excavative. Like they were just, you know, there's a lot of the hero's journey, which is so great and, and we all love and unite around that stuff. But I think just I love deep character studies and I love things that really just show us something that we weren't aware of before. So. Yeah. It's like that idea that if you share something that's going wrong in your life, someone else mm. is always so much more open to sharing also what they might be challenged by. Absolutely. And you hear that all the time with films when someone, you know, like a Barry Jenkins does a moonlight or something, tons of people will go to him and say, thank you for sharing that experience. It's very similar to mine or it's completely different from mine, but there's a parallel there. What do you think we might be scared of in, in sharing our vulnerabilities? Uh, I think it's probably a question which is very kind of similar to, to the um, LGBTI issue is that the acceptance, I think. Mm-hmm. I think people get scared that if you share your absolute truth that people will no longer find you acceptable or, uh, yeah, there'll be some part of you that, that they reject. I think that's the scary thing. But I also think that's what makes it most successful when people really do share from their heart. Yeah. People really connect to that. That makes me remember I had a friend in high school who I said, oh, I wanted to tell everyone that I liked women. And um, she said, oh, maybe not yet. Maybe let them have a few years <laughs> to kind of grow up and be more understanding. And I was a bit like, oh, okay. And then I remember thinking <laughs> on that and I just made a firm decision that this is who I am and a part of who I am. And if you aren't going to accept that, then mm. I don't want you in my life. Yeah. And I feel like that simple lesson has really served me well. Yeah, and often it's other people's projection of what they're not accepting within themselves or something. It like was. That. It <laughs> was. Me Straight coming up. out allowed her to come out. <laughs> like, oh, really? Stuff. Like, oh, right. Okay, yeah. not even. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah, and that's even one of the reasons why I either keep on saying that or I do speak about my wife when I'm doing interviews. And it's just because I want to make it a more common language in regards to so people aren't like, oh, and then this person's this or this person's that because like you, I don't, I'm not really defined by my sexuality, but I am married to a woman who helps me to find, who helps me to define myself. Yes, absolutely. And well said actually. So, yeah. Um, so going, going back to a bit more of, uh, I guess maybe the mental wellness that you as an actor, I feel really have to encapsulate because okay. even in little things around our career lines aren't a straight trajectory. 
<laughs> no. More commonly. So, you know, for yourself, when you are in that waiting game and you are stressed or you are worried, because I think that just that, that stress and worry is um, universal to people mm. in general, but how do you deal with that? Well, I actually don't view it that way. So I've got a lot of friends who are like, oh my God, will I ever work? Will I get this or will that? Um, that's just not the way I view it. I am definitely, I love Sandra O. Oh, always says she's actively waiting um, because oh, there's a, a lot one. of, yeah, I thought that was brilliant. And I think there's a lot of jobs you could go to, but actually I'm kind of like a little bit terrified sometimes because you look at, you know, say for example, network television contracts, they're for seven years. Like, I don't sign up to anything for seven years. <laughs> like, I don't sign up to anything for one year, like, lightly. So I think you, it's more about making sure you have the right fit because if you get the wrong job, if you're on there with a the team that you don't gel with or you're doing a role that's going to bore you in the next two months, like, that is absolutely not what you want as well. And so I am, I never view it as in I'm waiting for someone to give me permission. I very much view it, no matter where I'm standing in the position, you know, of influence or name or star power I'm always viewing it as is this the right job are these the right things that I want what's really going to set me like a light creatively what is the next step that I need to take in my career what's a challenge that I want so rather than um you know I'm I think there's often a poverty mentality with actors where it's like oh you know the hands are out like please sir can I have some more like I'm no I feel like I'm very much still <laughs> steering my ship um and I'm as invested in the choices as, as they are just because I audition for something doesn't mean that I'm going to take it. So, yeah. Unlike many actors, you sound like, I shouldn't say unlike for so, so no one gets offended. <laughs> <Yeah>. As <laughs> Sorry, like actors. some actors, <laughs> you seem to be really in charge of the choices you're going to make for yourself mm. in terms of, I know a lot of actors when you first start, it's kind of like what's coming to me. Um, are you a bit more deliberate, even that if something amazing came, but it didn't feel right, you would say no? Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, yeah, I really, I really do try and deliberately be in charge of my career like that as well. And, um, you know, I'm very fortunate that I have an amazing team that helps me to, you know, get lots of good opportunities and we weigh them up together on what's the right thing. But I think, you know, you need to structure a career. It's, and I don't think these things are happenstance. And I think if you kind of, do everything deliberately in your life, you get kind of deliberate results. And maybe that mentality comes from having made my own content in the past. And, you know, even whilst I'm actively waiting, say, for other jobs, like I have two screenplays that I'm in the process of writing and developing with my team. So I'm always actively doing things for myself, um, regardless of what the industry is doing. And for me, it's kind of like, oh, well, maybe my project will get made before I take a job in the industry or maybe I'll take a job in the industry but while my project's getting made in the end. And I think it just, you end up with more uh, faculty if you kind of approach the industry in that way. That's a very confident approach. And I feel like it's something that women in general may not always feel, regardless of any kind of career that they're in. Mm. Is there anything that kind of built you to that? I think it was kind of what, what we were talking about in the beginning about always having a unique point of view and always questioning things and never taking what somebody says as face value. For me, the best things I've discovered, I've discovered for myself in life. Um, and because I kind of fit into so many different molds, but don't really fit into them all at the same time, I just don't really think 
everyone else's rules apply to me, <laughs> which is probably like highly delusional, but has seemed to help me in life. So, um, so, and I'm just such an intuitive gut feel person. So whenever I listen to my gut, it usually goes uh, rather well. So I just try and always make space in life to be able to hear that. And yeah, I don't really belong to one kind of group. So I feel like I can kind of do what I want. <laughs> You're like, I'll make my own path. Basically, I think so. And um, yeah, and each, the further I go in this industry, I realize that there really aren't any rules. Going, uh, what you mentioned about intuition, I think it's a really important thing, but how do you believe that we can harness it better? Because I feel most women wish that they could trust, because I think it comes down to trust. Yeah. And And I think there's probably a couple of things for me. So in the part, like, I think I definitely have a history of following my intuition and now I've got such a big bank of evidence of the times that I did follow my intuition and it led to amazing things. And then I think there's just like physical things you can do. Like I wake up every morning and I meditate. Um, I try not to let myself get too stressed, even though there's always like 28 billion things to be done in a day. And um, yeah, I think it's just cultivating the time and the space within you. And I think especially when your job is an artist, you actively are always kind of working to exercise that intuition muscle because the intuition muscle is the one that's going to help you on screen or on stage as well. The people who follow their impulses are really the most compelling. So it's a really big part of my life to make room and to cultivate that. Did you find growing up, you always had that self-trust? Always. Yeah. It's weird. Even from like six and no matter what anyone else told me, like always just kind of was like, that doesn't feel like that's right. Or I'm going to go do this now. Very strange. It's interesting. I find that um, I used to have a little notebook and I'd write down all the times I had kind of like an intuitive thing and then if it would happen, just to kind of, of I guess, reaffirm for myself. And then now when I have moments and I think, oh, I should really start that notebook again. Yeah. <laughs> My six-year-old was really smart. <laughs> she was onto something. <laughs> it's, like the, it's like how I find sometimes we something that's working so well for us, we'll be like, okay, cool. Yeah, now I'm done with it. Like meditation. I think so many yeah. people start meditation when they're stressed and then they're not stressed. <laughs> so they're like, I don't even need that meditation thing anymore. Exactly. But I like believe in it so much. I literally... If I had to be on set at 5 a.m. and I hadn't meditated yet, I would be 15 minutes late. Like it's just, I'd put it above everything else. Personal curiosity, is there a certain kind of meditation that you do? No, I'm not like, oh, I'm all about transcendental or this or that. I just That's literally just... Hollywood buzzword. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've heard it a few times. But literally just the act of like just being still and making space and silence and listening inside myself for 15 minutes is like enough like I don't judge myself like some people like I can't meditate because I can't concentrate I'm like I don't even have to concentrate if I just sit there that's like a win in itself so yeah did you ever um do the artist way with Julia Cameron I have had that book come my way a couple of times but I've never actually done it so yeah for anyone listening and for yourself, it's a really interesting book because it has your day start with three morning pages and it's just freehand. Like you can start it with, and I remember starting countless pages with, oh my God, I actually can't believe I'm doing this shit. This is so boring. (laughs) I'm so bored. But by the third page and you only ever do three pages, there's always a bit of a breakthrough that you realize. Even if for sometimes, you know, I'm feeling really anxious. I'm a bit nervous. Why am I nervous? And you just kind of keep going and going and going. And it kind of just allows like a bit of a cathartic experience to happen. 
Nice. Yeah. I think whatever, whatever it is, I've got friends who just love to swim and they like the repetitiveness of that and the calmness of it, but find your thing and just go there often. I love that. And so before I ask uh, you my final question, where can everyone find you? Um, I am Charmaine Bingwa. I'm sure the spelling somewhere on your webpage or something associated. Um, and you can find me on all the usual places. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc. Perfect. And so my final question, you're standing in a room in front of 10,000 women and you're able to offer one piece of advice. What would you say? Cool. I would say shoulders back, head straight, go out into the world. Oh, I love that. That's so powerful. <laughs> it just came. So I was like, okay, let's go with posture. Charmaine, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I look pleasure. forward to seeing your career continue to go to new heights. And so please. great to chat with you. Thank you thank for having you. me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Modern Women. You can listen to all of our episodes over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. If you're not already subscribed, please do click that subscribe button now so you don't miss any episodes that come out each week. If you enjoyed this podcast or you took something away from it, taking two minutes to leave a five-star review or post a story review on Instagram and tag me in it so that we can continue to share these incredible stories with more women who need to hear this message. Original music by Chunky Love and produced by Podpaste. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.